Don't under the weather. You'll, you'll hear me uh, cough loudly, I'm sure, at some point in this service. So, um, and so I won't be shaking your hand after we're done. We'll get some other pastor to care for you. And uh, 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 just glad you're here. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, thanks so much for a chance to open your word and <coughs> uh, to uh, find you in it and, and to understand you from it. Uh, Lord, as we examine uh, the birth of your son in this season, that we do that every year, uh, I pray that we'd go beyond December 25th with Christmas this year, that we'd recognize that Jesus, uh, his arrival uh, ushers in this incredible peace that surpasses understanding for all of us here. Uh, Lord, we want to just um, soak in that peace, and we want to understand it at a deeper level in our lives. So help us with that, God. And I pray this all. Oh, get me out of the way. As always, get me out of the way, especially today. Get me out of the way and uh, speak in my place. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, anybody go Black Friday shopping? That's becoming less and less of a thing, isn't it? The computer's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful place to do shopping now. And so uh, I didn't go out shopping on Black Friday. But what I did do is one of my least favorite choy- chores in my house uh, throughout the year. I got the Christmas decorations now. Uh, now, I don't know about you guys, but I've discovered the body bag for Christmas decorations. Has anybody got one of these? Mine's red. This is one that we have here at the church. But you can put your tree, your fake tree that you put in your house every year. Isn't that funny? Just to say that out loud, you put a fake tree in your house every year. Uh, but you can put your tree and all your ornaments in this bag. And I know it's going to be a rough day, but I went up to the attic in my new garage to pull the Christmas body bag down, and it didn't fit through the hole. It went up there. Has anybody been there? I got it in. Why can't I get it out? It took me way too long to get this bag. I mean, gravity was even in my favor, and I couldn't get this bag out through this hole. And so I was already frustrated when I got the stuff inside. Started putting up the tree. Sure enough, this tree that is self-lit, you know, it's got lights already on the branches and stuff. I went the, I went the you know, the, the lazy route. Uh, all the lights on it are broken, so now I've got to go out and get lights for the self-lighting tree. That's, you know, another burr in my saddle. Uh, it's kind of a sad story. Eleanor and I, when we were first married, we couldn't afford Christmas decorations, so we made them. We made them out of this, like, Play-Doh stuff that if you let it harden, it stays hard. So we had cookie cutters with Santa Claus and angels and stars. I actually took one of the stars. I made it a sheriff star. I thought that was funny. But, uh, you know, we had hung these ornaments on our tree for 24 years. Uh, uh, but this year, apparently, uh, when we put the body bag uh, in the place that we stored it, uh, some water got into the body bag somehow. And when water hits these uh, Play-Doh ornaments, they just kind of disintegrate. So we opened up, uh, and all of our, you know, keepsake ornaments were, were dust. Yeah, have Merry Christmas, right? Right? And, uh, yeah, so I'm having this great time. No, I'm not. Uh, putting all of this stuff up. Uh, but, you know, invariably everything got done. My, my daughter my wife did a great job, as always, decorating our tree. And no matter how bad of a time I'm having putting this stuff up, when it's all in place, has anybody ever done this? You're like so frustrated through the whole process of getting something to where it was supposed to be, that when it finally gets to where it is, you're always amazed at how great it's, it feels to see it the way you, you know, kind of hoped it would come to fruition. And, and I just kind of stood in the middle of our living room with the tree in the corner and the fixings everywhere and the Christmas music playing on the iPad, and I was like, okay, yeah, it's Christmas now. Some people love Christmas so much that they leave their decorations up all year. Do you have that neighbor in your neighborhood? Maybe they're just lazy, but their lights stay out and they don't light them, you know, because that'd be weird, but uh, they just leave it up. And I was thinking about that this week, you know. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to enjoy Christmas right up until, you know, New Year's Day or the day after, and then i got to put all that stuff away again. Pray for me in the attic. But uh, 
uh, I think uh, the people who leave their stuff up all year, they, they might have something on us. They might, they might be thinking in the direction that at least we as followers of Jesus Christ need to be thinking. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, lights on your house all year round, but I am talking about the fact that Christmas needs to be celebrated by us more than just this one time of the year. Christmas, to me, is the apex predator of all spiritual holidays. It's, 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 the, it's the biggie. Now, some of you might be like, no, Mark, Easter is. Well, well, I think I say this pretty much every year. There's no Easter if there's no Christmas. Uh, if Jesus doesn't come down from heaven and wrap himself in skin and become human like us and then live a perfect life, then there can be no perfect sacrifice. There can be no resurrection. There can be no second coming without this first one. And so Christmas, while it's great that we hit it, you know, in December, uh, it's, it's really something that, it's, it's the bedrock of our faith. It's, it's the beginning of the greatest story ever told and something that we need to cherish in our hearts year-round. So maybe this year we leave the tree up all year just so that we can remember Christmas. Who's with me? Anybody? Maybe not. I think Christmas for me is, is such an important holiday or an important time for us to remember because it, it's the beginning of the greatest story ever told and the greatest ever story ever told at the center of the story of our gospel, of our good news, is this, that we were lost and because Jesus came, now we can be found. That, that we were, in essence, at war with God because of the sin in our lives and now because Jesus is born and will live and will die and raise from the grave, we can be at peace with him. We're going to spend this week and every week this, uh, this Christmas season talking about peace. And if you've been watching the news lately, there isn't a whole lot of news on peace. There's a lot of news on strife and terror and war. The peace doesn't make the paper. But here's, here's the good news about Jesus. The good news about the good news is that it's all about peace. I think the original accounts in Scripture kind of help us with that. Let's go to Christmas. Everybody... Here in Luke chapter 2, you don't have to go there. We're going to get there in a second, or get to another text in a second. But here in Luke chapter 2, Linus tells his story in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It must be true. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field uh, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, they were filled with fear. Uh, I sense that in our world today. Lots of people kind of walking around with trepidation, unease. Uh, uh, an angel visits a field in the middle of the night, and the shepherds have a, a human default reaction. I'm scared. Uh, but the angel says to them, hey, fear not. The, the news that I'm about to bring you is going to be a fear eraser. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. How many of the people? All of them. Not just the Jews, the Gentiles, not just the people who are going to end up believing the Christian faith, but even the people who don't believe the Christian faith are going in a completely different direction. It's great news for everybody, no matter where they've started, where they are. It's great news. It goes on and says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find him uh, as a baby wrapped in a swaddling clothes or claws and lying in a manger in a barn there go back and, and suddenly uh, this one angel was joined by a 
a heavenly host, a multitude, uh, praising God and saying, and this is the verse that most of us remember from Christmas, glory to God in the highest. They wrote a bunch of songs about this, this one verse. It's, just, it's the angel's song at the, at the coming of Christ. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what's the one you remember? On earth, uh, peace on earth, and what? Goodwill to men. That's the King James Version. Uh, it's probably not the most reliable translation of, of the Greek here. It's actually uh, better rendered, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let me just stop off here before we get going into this subject of peace. <clears throat> the angels basically, this host of angels were kind of like the audience at an Oprah show. Does anybody remember the show where Oprah gave away cars to everybody in the audience? As, uh, Saturday Night Live parodied this you know, years ago. And, but but if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it, Oprah... Uh, in one of her last shows, she always gave things away to the audience. In one of her last shows, she gave like four, I don't know what they were, to every member of the audience that day. And she started by saying, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. And pretty soon, everybody, everybody in the audience figured out they were getting a car. I went to Oprah, and I came home with a car. Well, you can just imagine, you know, the reaction of that audience. It was not, oh, that's great, that's awesome, I'm so excited to have a car. Women were wetting their pants like they were just losing their minds over the fact that they'd been given such a blessing, right? <laughs> well, here uh, you can just kind of picture in heaven the same kind of reaction. This angel is coming, all right? And for eternity, uh, uh, those in heaven had known that the will of God was to redeem mankind. They knew, well, they, 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 they saw the Old Testament played out. They knew that all the Old Testament prophecies were pointing to this one night, when, when God the Son uh, would, would come to earth and would begin this greatest story ever told, we can probably understand why they start their song with glory to God in the highest. It is the highest praise. Uh, it is all because of God and, and because of his uh, you know, love and his righteousness that he has made this way for his creation as, as uh, Jesus comes to earth. So they freak out. It's, it's, it's an Oprah show times infinity. And then they reiterate what the angel had said before, but they put it in these terms. The angel had said, you know, I bring you good news, great joy, uh, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born. They just said, hey, man, all that, you know what that brings? It brings peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, some of you might get thrown by that. Among those with whom he is pleased. Who is God pleased with? Because if you start thinking about your life and maybe the lives of your friends, I mean, who could God possibly be pleased with? Nobody, right? Oh, here's the deal. That's just kind of a way for us to remember <clears throat> that Jesus has come, not because we deserved it or because we were pleasing in some form. He, Jesus has come because God is pleased to give us his grace through Jesus Christ. You want to know who God is pleased with? He's pleased with everybody. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 8, that um, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were at our very worst, he sent his son, Jesus, to be born, to live, to die, and to rise again so that we might have life. Uh, he didn't look at us and grade us on a curve and say, yes, no, I'm pleased with you, I'm not pleased with you. He just said, I'm, I'm, man, I love humanity. Even though humanity has rejected me, I want to make a way that all who would follow me, all who would come to me can have the opportunity to do so. This peace is available for us all. 
because we are all those with whom God is pleased. Jesus came to bring us peace. That's his mission, is to restore what's been broken, to rescue those of us who have been captured. I was uh, looking in my house, and the last thing that Eleanor put up is this, uh, this little sign here that says peace. I think it's a great understanding of what Christmas is. It's the last thing my, my mother-in-law gifted to my wife before she passed away. So it'll always have a special place in our house, but I think it, it sums up Christmas for us. Christmas is all about peace. So, my prayer this season is that we would uh, understand God's peace. Uh, usually when I get up here and preach, I have like two or three things that I want you to go and do. Try this in your relationship so that you can experience the grace of God there. Try this so that you can get closer to God in your own life. Those things might tumble out of these sermons, but mostly I just want us to soak in peace. I just want us to understand that this season, as, as hectic and as crazy as it can be, at the heart of it is the message of God's peace. He's come so that you and I might have peace. Three ways. Peace three ways. Uh, peace personally. Jesus came to bring us peace personally. He came to bring us peace relationally. That's the second way. And then most importantly, he came to bring us peace spiritually. So I'm going to kind of stretch this one message over two sermons so that we get it all in. Is that cool with everybody? And, uh, and we're just going to talk about God's peace in these ways. I want to do that in a different text. So if you have your Bible, slip over them. Uh, flip over in them to Second Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five. <clears throat> Excuse me. How's your day going? Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, Paul is the apostle uh, that wrote most of the back of your New Testaments. We just got done studying a book uh, that he wrote to his friend named Titus. This is another one of his letters uh, that he wrote to a church in, in Corinthian or Corinth. And uh, in the second letter, he's basically defending himself. He's saying, "Hey, man." You got to keep listening to me. Uh, there was false teachers, apparently, that were coming into Corinth. If you read chapter 11, you'll read a lot about them. Uh, but they were coming into Corinth and saying, you got to stop listening to Paul. He, he does, he's, you can't trust him. He used to kill Christians. I mean, seriously, we're going to listen to him about this whole Christian thing. You know, you got you to stop listening to him. He, he's not worth it. So Paul, uh, here in 2 Corinthians, spends a lot of his time defending his apostleship. He's, he's basically saying, I'm still worthy of your follow. It's like he had a Twitter account, and he's trying to get more followers or something. So uh, he's like, you, you, you trust that, you know, what I'm saying is true, and if, if I seem crazy, it's for the gospel. He says that in the verses just preceding this. And, he says, so, and then he gets to this great verse in verse 14 of chapter 5. He basically gives the impetus, the reason behind him doing what he does. Have you ever thought about that? You read the stories of the people in the Bible, and you're like, why do these people do this? I mean, think about Saul, who became Paul. Saul was a persecutor of, of the Christians. He, he meets Jesus in this, you know, in the book of Acts, it tells us that he's just kind of minding his own business, and Jesus comes and gets him. And he meets Jesus, and he's transformed by his faith in Christ. And then he goes on to, you know, be basically the greatest missionary that's ever lived in the history of our, of our church, of our, of our faith. Uh, he starts churches all around the Mediterranean. I mean, he is prolific. He, wrote, he writes most of your Bible. I mean, what, what led this guy to have such a... Uh, a categorical, in every fashion, such a change. What, what led him to, you know, every, every time he got beat up or, or chased out of town or had rocks thrown at him until he was almost dead, what made him come back? 
You, you and I come back after that? Hey, I almost died from the rocks being thrown at me. Let's preach again tomorrow. Who's, who, you know, the, 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 what made him do this? Well, he's going to tell us here in the first few words of verse 14. In his defense to the Corinthians uh, of why he is doing what he does. And I'll get to peace in a second, but let's start with this verse. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Now, he's, he's talking about himself and, and his team who is kind of, you know, responsible for planting this, this church in Corinth. But he's referring to himself, so I'll, I'll make it more personal. He says, the love of Christ controls me because I have concluded this, or we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. You know why Paul got up and kept doing it? Because he had, he had moved past uh, himself so far, so much, that, that, that Jesus held the, the controller in an era where you know, gaming has become huge. I guess it's more of this. This is, this is Atari. Who remembers Atari? Anybody remember Atari? <clears throat> I went back to my, some of you kids are in the room. What's an, what's an Atari? It's the beginning, all right? But now it's this, and everybody, but, but, but here's, here's what Paul says. He says, listen, I am under the control of the love of Christ. In other translations, it says the love of Christ compels me. It's this Greek word, suneke. Everybody say, suneke. <clears throat> it's a Greek word that basically comes from the garment industry, and it talks, it's basically the word for hem. I'm hemmed in. I'm like sewn in by the love of Christ. I, I, I don't have a choice. He's controlling me. He's compelling me. I got to do what I got to do because he's done what he's done. And he, he goes on to explain what Jesus has done. He says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. We've figured this out. This is the difference between me being Saul and me being Paul. I figured out this one thing. That one, Jesus, born on Christmas, died on Good Friday. He came and he died for all. And therefore, this is a tricky phrase, therefore all have died. What does that mean? All have died. Well, he's not referring to a physical death, although all of us will die. I don't mean to bring everybody down so early in the morning, but everybody's heading there, okay? Clock's ticking. Get busy, all right? Because the day is coming. But he's, he's not referring to the fact that all have physically died. Now, certainly, if you read your Bibles, we all know that we're all spiritually, our, in our current form, without Jesus, we're all spiritually dead. It's not like we somehow come to death through a certain number of sins. It's, a, it's the condition that we're born in. Spiritually, we are still born. We are spiritually dead. All right? So what does he mean? What's well, poetic. It's kind of like he left out a few words there. He says, because one has died, then all have died. And here's the words that might help you understand this. All have died to spiritual death. Anybody ever said to someone, you're dead to me? Maybe, in, hopefully in jest. I hope you haven't said that to someone for real. But, uh, but if you turn to someone and say, you are dead to me, what are you, what are you saying? Well, it's as if you're dead. You're not, you are no longer a part of my life. You're out. I'm just not dealing with you anymore. You're dead to me. And because Jesus died, here's what Paul says, huge theological idea. Because Jesus has died, spiritual death, our separation from God can now be dead to us. De- we, are, we are dead to death through Christ. Because he died, all have died. All have died to the spiritual condition that is death. Now, it, it's not something that's just wide sweeping, but Jesus has provided this for us. He's our, he's our, 
He's our, uh, he's our Hail Mary, as it were. Thank you, Catholics, for this phrase. It was great to use in football. But he's our Hail Mary, as it were. We were lost. The game, anybody see the Packer game this week? Some of you guys are football fans. But the Green Bay Packers played the Detroit Lions on Thursday night this past week. And the game was over, like literally over. Clock had run out. Uh, it was the last play of the game. They were doing this, you know, everybody trying to lateral it so you can get the last touchdown. The Packers were behind by three points. <clears throat> or two points, I don't know. They were behind. But uh, a penalty on one of the defenders gave them one last play in football. If you get a penalty on the last play, even though the clock is at zeros, you get one more play. And on the last play of the game, this guy Aaron Rodgers, who plays quarterback for the Packers, launches this pass some 70 yards in the air towards the goal line and against so many odds. I mean, it's, just, it's almost impossible to win uh, in these kinds of scenarios. This guy from the Packers jumps up, catches the ball, touchdown, and with the clock reading zero, the Packers pull out a win. I'm not a Packer fan, but I dig those kinds of plays. Anybody like watching those plays? Why? Because it's all, everything is lost. There's no hope. And in the end, there's this, this one last, last-ditch effort, this Hail Mary, uh, that makes the difference. Uh, Jesus has made the difference in the lives of spiritually dead people. Because he died, uh, we can now have life. And death, spiritual death, can be dead to us. <clears throat> I think sometimes that gets lost on us. Um, we, we don't appreciate the love that that took, you know, for Christ. Like, picture yourself, uh, you've been found guilty of something that you were truly guilty of, and you're living back in the times of Jesus, and your conviction is, is the cross. You have to go to the cross. And so you've been marched up maybe a similar hill that Jesus was marched up, and you've been laid out on the cross, and your hands are stretched out on those timbers, and the nail is about to come down on your wrists and on your feet, and you're about to hang there. And at the last second, this carpenter from Nazareth, comes out of the crowd, and he touches the soldier's, soldier's shoulder. That's a hard word to say in combo there. And he says, no, 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 not him, me. And you're lifted from your cross. And Jesus takes your place. How much love does it take for someone to do that? And how would you respond in response to that love? Maybe marriage will help us kind of figure this out. I, I know I married way up. Every guy in here did, just so you know. But I know, uh, because I know me, that there's just no possible way that I should have attracted uh, the prize that I have in my wife, Eleanor. I get that. Not, not every day, but most, you know, days when I'm having clarity, I get that. And uh, when I get that, when I realize that her loving me is a miracle from God, uh, I am so much better at loving her. She lo- what does the Bible tell us? That God loved us. Uh, he loves us so that we can love him. I'm messing up the verse in First John, but uh, we love him because he first loved us. I think that's how it goes, right? His, his love inspires our love. And so <clears throat> when I think about Eleanor and her love for me, I'm a better husband because I'm operating from that appreciative love, that amazement, you know, that a woman like her would, would live with a guy like me, right? And I think a lot of times in our Christian faith, we don't, we don't let the love of Christ compel us like that. We take for granted the amount of love that it took for a perfect being to leave perfection in heaven, be wrapped in skin, put up with us on earth for the 30 or so years that he lived here, 
to die on a cross, taking on himself the sins of us all so that we might have peace with God. What kind of love did that take? And when we consider that love, does that then push us forward in our love for him? Does he have the joystick as we appreciate and say thank you to him for his love? The best way to receive the peace that Jesus gives us, the best way for us to be able to extend that peace in the relationships we have is to be compelled and controlled by his love for us. Uh, My question then is, what's controlling the agendas in your life? I know far too often in mine, uh, the controlling factor in my life is me. I like to hold the joystick and go where I want this thing to go. So let's talk about that with the time that we have remaining. Let's talk about the fact that Jesus' birth signifies and brings ushers in this whole possibility for us to have peace with ourselves. Jesus came to bring us peace with ourselves. Look what it says in verse 15. Once we know that the love of Christ compels us, Paul goes on and he explains further that the mission of Christ was to bring us peace with ourselves. It says verse 15, he died for all that those who live, read it with me, might no longer live for who? So that those who live might no longer live them from, for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If you don't memorize another verse uh, in this whole you know, time that we're in 2 Corinthians, uh, memorize this one. Because this is going to be the thing that as you wake up in the morning, you should just kind of utter to yourself as a reminder. When Jesus died for me, sir, he died so that I could go to heaven. Isn't that a great byproduct of our faith in Jesus Christ? We get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Who's anybody excited about that? Now that gets a lot of play in the Christian world, which appropriately it should. But did you know one of the chief reasons that Jesus died for us is so that He could save you and me from you and me? He just wanted to rescue you from you. He wanted to rescue Mark from Mark, because he knew that you were making a mess of your life and that I was making a mess of mine. And sure, heaven's this great byproduct, but one of His chief purposes is in coming to earth was so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. The default setting on, on human beings is the, is the line that the seagulls say in Finding Nemo. I know it's a long time ago, but does anybody remember the movie Finding Nemo? Yeah, there's these seagulls in that movie, and, and, and their only line, they got one line, it's so perfect. They just say, mine, 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 mine. Anybody remember it? Yeah. Uh, what, what, what are, I mean, that is... The script for the human life. Have you met a two-year-old? They, they, they got a few words, but that's their favorite. They can say mommy, daddy, ball. But, they, but when it comes to like push and shove, their word is mine. And they love to hold on to whatever they think is theirs, which is everything, and make sure that no one else has it. I, uh, I took some sadistic pre- pleasure from taking things from my kids that they thought was theirs, I'll admit it. Because I, and here's why, not because I'm a jerk, although I probably am, but uh, <clears throat> because I know how important it is for a kid at that age to learn that everything is not his. That that's not yours. That in, his, in this house, everything is mine. <laughs> Which is probably, you know, a little bit off too, but... Uh, but I want them to understand that you, 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 
the world is not yours. My mom used to always tell me when she was sassing me, she would ask me this question, I've shared it with you before, do you think you're the only person in the world? And I just, I couldn't get that when I was a little kid. But what was she trying to say to me? She's saying the whole world is not about you. Everything that exists does not revolve around you, bro. You've got to learn that. And she pounded it into me. Old school style. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> we are a condition to love ourselves. Uh, that's what uh, being born outside of grace or outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ brings. We think we're God. Uh, we, we love to, to just um, worship ourselves. My, my son Ben uh, caught a trait for me that I had when I was a younger kid. He, any, any reflective surface that he sees, he's going to stare at himself in. Like my whole life growing up with Ben... I would have like full conversations with him. He'd never look me in the eye because he was standing in a spot where he could see his reflection in the china cabinet in the, in the kitchen, and he would just stand there and kind of look at himself as we talked about the evening's events. So are you going out tonight, Ben? You're going to go hang out with your friends? Absolutely, Dad. It's going to be great. We're going to go to the movies. Ben, I'm over here. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, when are you going to be home? I don't know, probably around. But what time do I have to be home? You know, and he just keep looking at himself, right? Anybody have this kid? Because he, man, we are, in, our, in our sin nature, we are, we are worshipers of self. We just love to look at me. Uh, we, we've made it a, 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 an internet phenomenon now. We got these selfie things. and Everybody bags on this generation because they're taking selfies. Listen, if you had camera phones when you were that age, you would have been doing it too. All right? Because you were all about you too. Just because they got the technology, don't be bagging on them. You know, they've outlawed selfie sticks, these long sticks that you can put on cameras. They've outlawed them at national museums because people were taking way too long clogging up the lines to see the exhibits because they, they weren't really there to see the exhibits. They were there to get a picture of themselves in front of the exhibits. Are you with me? So you can't do that anymore and, uh, at, at the uh, National you know, Museums in Washington when we were there this summer. You couldn't take selfies with a selfie stick. You know, I think that's so funny to me that everybody wants to have pictures of themselves in front of all these incredible natural phenomenons, you know, the Grand Canyon and all these things. Why you got to be in it? Just show me the Grand Canyon. Show me your vacation without you being, your mug being in every picture. But, but it's just the condition of humanity. I, I got to be in every picture. Photobombing, it's all about me. Right? Jesus came to save us from this. He came to save us from having a, a, a dual worship focus. James, in his uh, letter in the back of your Bibles, he talks about being double-minded. He says, don't be double-minded. You're like a wave tossed on the sea. You just don't, you don't have focus. And you think about it, it's true. If you try to do two things at once, you just don't have focus. You know, I'm going to have everybody walk out of here at the end of the service looking up at the ceiling, and I'm just going to laugh from up here as, uh, as you try to walk without focusing on where you're going. You're going to... I'm not really going to do that, by the way. But you can't go where you're not looking. You can't text and drive. Some of you are like, yes, I can. No, you can't. You're like a drunk guy. You, you can't do two things at once. You can't talk to your wife, fellows, and watch football. I tried yesterday. It is not possible. <coughs> Eleanor does this one. Does anybody else's wife do this one? Just walks right in front of the TV. And you're like, come on, babe. Yeah. Oh, I'll go wherever you want to dinner. That's fine. No, you, you can't do two things at once. So you can't worship God and money like Jesus said. You can't worship yourself and your God. And Jesus can't. Listen, look at me. If you don't hear anything else, 
hear about this and rejoice in the good news of Jesus' arrival. He came so that you and I could be free from ourselves. And that we could be free from this divided focus, that we could put all of our focus, which is what he created us in the original to do, for all of our focus to be on him. He came to bring peace to our lives. He came to save me from me. He came to save you from you. He did this because if I rule me, I make a mess. He did this because if you rule you, you make a mess. But if Jesus rules me, he makes a masterpiece. You know what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? He says, uh, you are my workmanship. You're my masterpiece. And if you're with me and I'm with you and we focus on the right things, which is me, Jesus says, I will make you a masterpiece in life. I don't know about you, but that's, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm desiring. I want to be a masterpiece husband. I want to be a masterpiece dad. I want to be a masterpiece pastor. I want to be the best that I can be. But if I'm doing the work, I'm going to make a mess. If I let Jesus do the work and he brings peace in my relationship with me, then I'll be a masterpiece. I, I just had a table built. I was going to show you a picture, but it's really nice. I had this wood that was on the walls of this house that we remodeled. Sometime in 2020, I'll stop talking about this house, just so you know. But uh, <clears throat> the wood that came off the walls with this tongue and groove cypress that was really popular back in the 60s, 60s, and we had to rewire the house, so it all had to come off so they could rewire it. And so I got like six, 700 boards, I don't know, a lot of wood. And I uh, didn't really know what to do with all of it. And so had this brainstorm. Let's make a table out of it. We wanted this big, huge kind of farmhouse table. Let's make a table out of it. Let's not just kind of throw a bunch of boards on, you know, let's make a butcher block table. I had all this. I'm not usually the designer in my home. I leave that to the, to the designer. Her name's Eleanor. But I had this vision for this table. And so I went to my buddy Steve, who is a great carpenter. I said, hey, man, do you think this is possible? I got the wood. You're a carpenter. Can we make a table? And when I said, can we make a table, I meant, can you make a table? Because <laughs> if you haven't been paying attention when I've been preaching, those aren't skill sets that I have. I'm not particularly great at that. I'll, man, I'll, I'll be there. I'll clean up the sawdust. I will do whatever you need me to do. But you're the master craftsman. Can you make And so he did. He, I brought the wood over. Actually, my friend Osha brought the wood over. But... Uh, <coughs> I helped load it in, and, uh, and I set it out there in his shop so that he could make this table, and he made this, it's this beautiful piece of woodwork, he used those dado chips that you see on, you know, uh, this old house with Norm, and he just, I mean, did all these incredible things, you probably don't get that if you don't watch PBS, but uh, uh, he made this incredible table, and it's sitting in my kitchen right now, when people come over, I say, you know what, this table came from the walls of this house, isn't it beautiful, and they say, do you make, did you make it? I said, are you looking at it? <laughs> do you think I had anything to do with this thing? And I can honestly say I didn't have anything to do with that finished product, except that I brought the stuff, and I let the master do the work. You want peace in your life? You bring Jesus your stuff, and then you let the master do the work. Jesus came so that you and I might have peace with ourselves. And in this Christmas season, my prayer is that we would experience that. In this Christmas season, let me give you one more verse and I'll let you go. In this Christmas season, <clears throat> I would pray that you would experience the peace that surpasses understanding. These are the verses. If you've ever heard a Christian say that or you've quoted it yourself, it's here in Philippians chapter 4. 
where Paul instructs another church at a place called Philippi to not be anxious about anything. Here's a definition for anxiety. Anxiety is agitation over the realization that every situation in my life is beyond control. Did you get that? Anxiety is the agitation over the realization that every situation in my life is beyond my control. How much in your life do you really control? Some of you are like a lot. I am a control freak and I control everything. Slow down, cowboy. How much in your life do you really control? Later in his book, James talks to us about uh, us being vapors. We make all these plans. We think we're in control, but we're not. And anxiety is simply this. It's this misplaced fear or agitation uh, that, that is born of the understanding that I don't really control my life, past, present, or future. I'm not in control. But the old man wants to be God. He, we want to be in control of our lives, and so we fear and have anxiety, and, 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 and we, we try without God to, to, to manipulate what's going on in our lives. It's not going to work. And so Paul says, don't be anxious. About how much? About anything. But just in case we're unclear, in everything, here's how we live life. By prayer. We talk to God. By supplication, we ask of God. With thanksgiving, we thank God. Does everybody see where the focus is going? Not on us, but on to our God. We let our requests be made known to God. These are the things we do. And then here's the guarantee, and I'll leave you with this. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is great. I don't know if it's a paradox, but it's, it's, it's really interesting that the more that we focus and try to handle and manipulate circumstances in our life, the, the less we're going to experience peace. But the more we let go of the things and the situations of our lives, the more we can usher in the peace that God gives. And it's this peace that surpasses description. We can't even begin to understand it. When that peace comes in, what's it guard? This is so great. It guards our hearts, which for the, you know, the Hebrew was the belly. It wasn't your cardio. It was your gutto. And it was the seat of all your emotions. And so what the peace of God does Go back to the other verse, please. Yeah, thank you. What the peace of God does is it basically protects your emotions. And then it also steers your thoughts. Ever met that person who's just kind of given up and said, you know what, God's got this. And they stop thinking about whatever they're worried about. They're, they're not agitated anymore. Why? Because here's what's happened. The peace of God that comes at the birth of Christ has become a reality to them, not just in their salvation experience. We'll talk about that next time together. But it's become this invading force, this occupying force in their lives. They've been set free from themselves. They're not trying to steer. They're not taking their life and making a mess. They've turned over their life. And and Jesus is making a masterpiece. Oh, that we could all experience that. Some of you in here don't know Jesus yet. That starts with you having faith in Christ. But some of us in here, we've had faith in Christ for years, and we've just never really given him control. we still got our face in the mirror, and we're still worshiping uh, the person that we see there. May God free us from ourselves. 
And when we get free of ourselves, may he grant us peace. I don't know what you're going through right now. I know it's a scary world that we live in. I don't know what your fears are. I don't know what's happening in your family. But here's the, here's the promise that, that Christmas gives. That through Christ you can have peace. May God grant it to you today. Can I pray? Lord, thanks for the chance to celebrate your peace. <clears throat> we ask God that you would lead us to it. Uh, I, I know in a room this this size with the number of people that are sitting here, there's tons of folks who are just wrestling with anxiety. There's tons of folks who are wrestling, uh, or maybe not even wrestling. They're just kind of living in a worship of themselves. We all we all deal with that. God, help us, Lord, to be free from ourselves be free from having to handle this stuff in our life. Help us just to turn our lives over completely to you. That's why you came, Jesus, so that we could be free from ourselves. So give us that, Lord, today, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.